Section four of Sir Francis Drake by Julian Corbett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter two. The Spanish Main. Part two. In a week, the pinnaces were ready, and the combined squadron stole out of its hiding place. Proceeding northwestward along the coast, on the third day they reached some fir clad islands, which they called Islas de Pinos here too they found themselves forestalled some negroes were in possession loading planks and timber into two frigates or small galleys from nombre de dios the men were seized and eagerly questioned for news of the state of the town their information was as bad as it could be the waste of hill and forest that lay on either side of the road from panama to nombre de dios was occupied by a savage black people whom the Spaniards called Cimarones, a word our seamen corrupted into maroons. Eighty years ago a number of African slaves had been driven by the cruelty of their masters to take to the woods, and having found favor in the eyes of the Indian women, they had now grown into two great tribes, whose terrible mission it was to rob and kill and torture every Spaniard on whom they could lay their hands. Filled with the savage cruelty, natural to so mongrel a race possessed of a splendid physique and alarmingly prolific they were dreaded and treated by the spaniards like wild beasts so formidable had these terrible tribes become that this very year they had annihilated a strong force which a chivalrous spanish gentleman had volunteered to lead against their stronghold six weeks ago they had almost succeeded in surprising nombre de dios itself and the governor in great alarm had sent to panama for reinforcements nothing could have fallen out worse the town on whose sleepy security the success of the expedition depended would be all on the alert and without shame drake might well have reconsidered his determination but for him the news was but a reason for immediate action on the chance that the troops had not yet arrived from panama with that remarkable foresight which always seemed to temper his rashest moods he set the negroes ashore trusting they would find their way to the maroons with a good report of his kindness and at the same time made rapid preparations to reach nombre de dios before they could report his presence on the coast in case they were so minded it was arranged that the three ships and the caravel were to lie hidden amongst the pine islands under rance while drake himself made the attempt with the three pinnaces and the shallop fifty-three of his own men and twenty of rance's were picked for the service and on the twenty-third the last farewells were said as the four boats rowed off on their desperate adventure the arms as yet were lying snugly packed in chests in their selection drake showed a scholarly respect for the latest ideas of infantry officers no less than that almost humorous originality which is so characteristic of all his exploits pikes and firearms were in equal proportion according to the approved practice of the time and the officers were armed with sword and buckler but with the remaining third of his force he permitted himself the indulgence of an ingenious fancy sixteen men were armed with bows and supplied not with heavy war arrows but with light roving shafts specially devised to produce the same distracting effects for which rockets were afterwards employed 
six of the pikes too were fitted with gear for holding blazing tow while the remaining four men carried nothing more deadly than trumpets and drums for the sole purpose of making as much noise as possible as well for the encouragement of their comrades as the alarm of the enemy in five days they had covered twenty-five leagues and reached a group of islets which were known to them as cativas or prisoners islands here at break of day the men were landed and paraded in their respective parties while drake with cheery speeches served out their arms and did his best to remove the bad impression which the negroes news had made in the afternoon they were away again and by midnight the four evil-looking craft were lying still as sharks under the point nombre bay hither creeping stealthily along the shore drake had conducted them unperceived and here they must wait for the first grey streaks of dawn it was a time to try the stoutest heart as the dark hours dragged wearily on the young hands grew more and more nervous on the other side of the point under which they lay was a world-renowned town as big as plymouth by this time perhaps full of the unconquered spanish infantry there was nothing to break the spell of the death-like silence but the booming of the surf and their own anxious whispers as they discussed beneath their breath the negro's news drake knew that another hour of such suspense would wither the heart out of his force and it wanted yet an hour to dawn suddenly he descried a faint light silvering the horizon it was only the moon rising as he well knew but by a happy inspiration he proclaimed it the dawn and cheerily ordered out the sweeps no sooner was the harbour gained than they knew they were detected as ill luck would have it a ship was just taking up her moorings and to their dismay a boat shot from her side straight for the landing-place in a moment drake's pinnace was leaping across the water at racing speed to head it off it was a desperate struggle but devon muscle told the spaniards soon saw they were overmatched and fled to the opposite side of the bay a few minutes later the four boats had grounded under the shore battery and the men were tumbling the guns into the sand unfortunately the gunner in charge had escaped to give the alarm and as the men hastily fell into their places they heard the citizens take fright no sound under heaven is more awe-inspiring than that of a town awakening in terror the first confused murmur that is quickly broken with scattered cries the first woman's shriek the first excited shout each again and again repeated till the shuddering murmur is a broken roar all this beset the ears of these threescore sailor lads and worse than that the roll of drums calling troops to arms and the din of the great church bell high above all but now there was no time to be afraid twelve men were left to guard the boats and the rest hurried silently to seize the new eastern battery it was drake's great anxiety and to his intense relief he found that not a gun had yet been mounted so now the real work could begin and divided into two parties with clatter of drums and blare of trumpets brandishing their blazing fire pikes and uttering horrible yells they rushed by two different ways to the market-place drake with the bulk of the force ran up the main street while his brother and oxenham led the smaller party by a more devious route with which they were somehow familiar at the corner of the plaza where the panama road left it a considerable force had by this time managed to assemble 
and as the head of drake's little column appeared it was received with a roar of musketry the sand spat up about their feet the trumpeter dropped and the rest with one volley of shot and arrows dashed at the glowing matches before them then hand to hand with sword and pike the swinging butts of muskets the doubtful struggle raged the event yet hung on the balance when in upon the spaniard's flank burst the second party with a startling volley bewildered with the darkness and the din the spaniards hearts began to fail panic multiplied the handful of their foes maddened by the roving arrows scorched and blinded by the flaming pikes they were hustled like sheep into the narrow road faster and faster they gave their ground arms were flung down and backs were turned till all in hopeless rout were flying for life through the panama gate the plaza was immediately secured at all its outlets and drake with a small guard made a move for the governor's house no sooner had they entered the storehouse than a sight of wonder met their eyes against the wall they saw the grey shimmer of a pile of silver bars ten feet in breadth twelve feet in height and seventy in length it was a sight beyond the most fevered of the devon lad's dreams in open-mouthed amazement they prepared to fall upon it but drake only laughed at them and gave a sharp order to stand to their arms he knew the danger was yet extreme the town was full of soldiers and to remove the silver in face of them was madness he sternly forbade a single bar to be touched for he knew that down by the shore was the king's treasure-house where was a store of gold and jewels besides which the heap of silver was as mere ballast returning to the main body he found that the reaction from the excitement of the fight had brought the men back into their nervous state the distracting clang of the great alarm bell was still crying lustily for help for drake would not permit the church to be profaned inky clouds were rolling up over the town and obscuring the moon frequent shots and warlike cries had been heard by the shore and the rumour was that the boats had been attacked john drake and oxenham were at once ordered off with their party to ascertain the truth and then rendezvous at the king's treasure-house thither drake hurried with the rest but ere the goal was reached the tempest burst and to all their dangers and terrors was added the unearthly roar of a tropic rain matches were quenched and bowstrings ruined before they found shelter in a shed attached to the treasure-house here another insupportable delay occurred for from the point where they stood it was impossible to break in in the midst of the growing dismay john drake and oxenham ran up to report the boat-guard safe but in great alarm at the numbers of soldiers they had seen hurrying to and fro a friendly negro whom they had taken on board reported that a hundred and fifty soldiers had arrived the day before and that unless the english got clear before dawn they would certainly be overwhelmed in the face of this it was impossible to keep the young hands steady many minutes longer in vain the undaunted captain tried to occupy them in repairing the damage which the rain had done to their arms in vain he encouraged them with hopes and even taunts i have brought you he cried to the mouth of the treasure-house of the world blame nobody but yourselves if you go away empty the men only grew more unsteady and as the rain abated a little drake ordered his brother and oxenham to go round and break open the treasure-house door while he returned to hold the plaza 
Briskly he stepped forward to lead the way, and then, with a cheery cry on his lips, rolled over in the sand. Ever since the first encounter he had been struggling against a desperate wound in the leg, lest the timid should make it an excuse for returning with the plunder they had already collected. Now they saw that his very footprints were full of blood, and it was clear his life was in jeopardy. The boldest would not listen to his entreaties to proceed with the work. His life, they said, was dearer to them than all the wealth of the Indies. In spite of his angry protests, they bore him with loving violence on board his pinnace, and so as the four boats rowed moodily from the harbour, the sun rose on their glorious failure, and the renowned attempt upon the treasure-house of the world was at an end. Every colonial port in those days had its Isla de Bastimentos, or Victualling Island, and to that of Nombre de Dios the boats made their course, taking with them for their comfort the ship which they had seen arrive. It was laden with good canary and other stores, and with the aid of this and the abundance of delicacies on the island, Drake and the rest of the wounded rapidly recovered. Hither they were followed by one of the Panama officers, who professed himself overwhelmed with the brilliancy of Drake's feat of arms. He wanted to know if he was indeed that incomprehensible rover who did not drown his prisoners, and if so, if there was anything with which the governor could provide him. Drake, who took the Don's fantastic courtesies for a cloak to cover a spy, answered roughly enough that he was the Drake they meant, and that he intended to help himself to all he wanted. So tell your governor, he concluded, to hold his eyes open, for before I depart, if God lend me life and leave, I mean to reap some of your harvest, which you get out of the earth and send into Spain to trouble all the earth. Drake meant what he said. He was still unsatisfied, he was more contemptuous of the Spanish power than ever, and his men were intoxicated with their leader's spirit. But not so his partner. When the combined force was once more assembled at the Pine Islands, Rance declared that he was not willing to risk the booty already obtained in the hornet's nest they had stirred. So with mutual goodwill they wound up the partnership and parted company. Ten days of rest had elapsed since the attack on Nombre de Dios. Their wounds were already half forgotten, and as Rance shaped his homeward course, Drake swooped upon Cartagena, the capital of the Spanish main. As he approached, the boom of guns rolled out across the sea to tell him he was expected. Light airs had delayed him, and in spite of his promptitude, a dispatch boat had slipped in to give the alarm. Nevertheless, with his pinnaces he boldly entered the harbour, cut out a large ship that was discharging at the quays, and amidst a loud alarm of guns and bells and musketry, carried it in triumph out to sea. Next day he intercepted two more dispatch boats and learned the full extent of the tempest he had raised. Dazzled though he was by his recent feat, he saw clearly the ferment must be allowed to subside. With bewildering suddenness, his whole plan was changed, and next night no trace of him was to be seen off the Spanish main but the charred remnants of the swan, burning down to the water's edge. He had utterly disappeared as suddenly as he came, and the mystery of the burning ship was all he had left behind. It was a mystery the Spaniards were not likely to fathom. For the new project on which his genius was bent, the pinnaces had to be fully manned, 
and to man the pinnaces his brother's ship must be abandoned his extraordinary instinct for the control of men told him that to give such an order was but to court mutiny his clear-eyed tenacity of purpose told him the work must be done and done cheerfully at such moments his influence over men was miraculous that night tom moon the carpenter of the swan was secretly scuttling his beloved vessel at the risk of his life and in the morning she was half full of water but so skilfully had drake ordered the work that no leak could be found all day he toiled with well-feigned anxiety at his brother's pumps till he and all the company were exhausted and the water hardly reduced in despair her heartbroken young captain sought his brother's advice and so astutely was it given that that night as the shadows fell john drake with his own hand fired his stricken ship End of section four